Well, today we're wrapping up a three-week series on setting godly goals for the new year. We've been calling it Run the Race, and today we're talking about finishing the race well. So we've already talked about getting started well and running strong and avoiding things that keep us from being knocked out of the race. I want to take a few minutes for a brief review of, of where we've come, all right? So we're all in this race, all of us who've trusted Christ as Savior are in the Christian life, and Hebrews 12.1 puts it like this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's also important to, to be running the race, to start and run the race with the end in mind. Okay? And the finish line for a believer in Jesus Christ is standing before the Lord someday at the judgment seat of Christ, giving an account of our lives before him, and a win for us will be hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here's a few other things that we've been uh, talking about. Our goals are the exercises we use to develop endurance, faithfulness, and self-control. So Paul compared the, the race of this life to the games that took place in Corinth every other year. And we suggested a couple of weeks ago that setting goals are like exercises that prepare us, that help us train for success. They help us develop endurance and, and faithfulness and self-control. And then we need to stay focused by enlisting workout partners. Just as athletes need training partners, as followers of Christ, we need spiritual workout partners to keep us encouraged and non-focused. And it's very helpful to have a BHAG a big, hairy, audacious goal, preferably not a B-hay, as David was referring to, but a, David mentioned having a B-hag because they help motivate us. They put out some things that we're shooting for that, that we're excited about accomplishing with, with God's help. In fact, Isaiah 32.8 reminds us this, that the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. So goal setting is about setting godly, noble goals, things that we believe God wants us to accomplish for his glory. And it's not just about achieving our goals. It's about who we become in the process, who we become in the process. I enjoyed David's emphasis on that that he added last week. We're not going to hit all of our goals. That's okay, because the important thing is how we are growing and who we become in the process. And finally, when writing goals, it's helpful to think in categories, spiritual goals, physical goals, emotional, relational, family, intellectual, vocational, and financial goals. And by the way, one of the, the spiritual goals that we've been talking about is community, relationship with one another as followers of Christ. And one of the main ways that we do community here at Lake City is through our small group ministry. And this weekend is the kickoff of our small groups for this new semester. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up yet, to please get signed up today before you leave. All right? Please, at this time, pass the small group catalogs and sign-up sheets down the rows that you're in. They should be somewhere on your row near the center aisle. And if you would, if you're not signed up already, please take these one per family and see what open groups are left and find one that's convenient. And then sign up for more information on the blue sheet. That can be dropped in the offering bag at the end of the service, 
or you can take it down in the foyer to the small group table and get your questions answered right there. But we have a team down there that, that's just ready to jump in and respond to your interests right away and get you started. So again, as we write our goals, think in terms of categories. And one of the most important ones to include as you plan and as you make goals for the new year is financial goals. And we focus on finances because Jesus himself did. Our Lord talked about finances frequently. In the Gospels, one out of ten verses deals directly with the subject of money and possessions. The Bible offers some 500 verses on prayer and some 500 verses on faith and more than 2,000 verses on the subject of money and possessions. And so for us to discuss goals together like this, such a critical subject as this, and ignore something that Jesus considered so important to our spiritual foundation would be a big miss. In other words, this is a key issue for our discipleship. And that's why I like to bring it up each year as we set goals. So what do you think the number one emotion, the the most common emotion is as it relates to our finances? Fear, worry, stress, I heard those. Let me ask you some questions as you think about setting financial goals. Do you have stress or peace over your own personal finances as we begin a new year? Do you have a strategy for how to use your money? Are you in debt? And if you are in debt, do you have a plan to get out of debt in the near future? Not on your sermon notes, but how does giving enter in to your plan? One of the things that I want you to see is that in Scripture, we're encouraged not just to give, but to develop a lifestyle of generosity. Lifestyle of generosity. And what we're going to see today is that Oftentimes, we think we aren't rich when we really are, and we think we are generous when we might not be that much. Obviously, there's exceptions, but for the most part, I think uh, most of us think we aren't rich when we really are, and think we are maybe more generous than we are. I want to remind you that most of us in this room today, by the very fact that we're Americans, are in the top 10% of all the people in the world when it comes to wealth and possessions. Top 10%. Sure, we know plenty of people who have more than we do. And we see news about millionaires and billionaires, and and we don't feel rich because we compare ourselves to people like that. But the truth is, if we're sitting here in a room like this in America, we're among the wealthiest in the world. Even though we feel all kinds of financial pressure, we have more than 90% of the world when it comes to financial pressure. Wealth. And yet again, the emotion most people associate with their finances is worry. And the reason is largely because Americans tend to spend more than they make. And of course, overspending leads to debt, and debt produces a lack of margin in our lives, and all of this produces worry. Some people have called this cycle the crazy cycle. I first heard that from Andy Stanley, so I credit him for that and his influence in this sermon. But friend, there is a much better way for us to live. God has a better plan for your life. All right? Uh, See, all of this is really a spiritual issue. 
spiritual issues. Instead of overspending, God wants us to grow in self-control. And rather than debt, God wants us to learn contentment. You see how these are spiritual issues? And rather than no margin, God wants us to develop discipline, financial discipline. And finally, rather than worry, God wants us to experience his peace. See, more money does not help us have more peace or more self-control or contentment. So what does? I want to suggest to you that developing a lifestyle of generosity is part of the answer. And it's the off-ramp to this crazy cycle that I'm talking about right now. now. I think it's safe to say that most Americans understand the importance of giving. But not everyone understands the concept of generosity. And listen, giving and generosity are two very, very different things. And so with the time that remains today, I want to speak with you about how to be generous. That might sound a little insulting because it sounds like I'm assuming you're not generous. And I think you know by now, I don't know what anyone gives to our church, so... I don't know if anyone is or not, honestly, but I have observed our giving toward the Transform initiative over the last three years, and I know that we have a generous church family in that sense, and I I commend you for that. But what we do know is that most Americans actually aren't that generous. That's what the studies show. Most people do know how to give, they know how to respond to a need when it arises, but they don't understand a life that is built around generosity. And so instead of assuming that you know how to be generous, I decided to talk to you a little bit about it today. One of the reasons is because I have found personally that I need to be constantly reminded what God's Word says about my money and my possessions and how to be generous. And that's my subject for the next few minutes. One of the passages from Scripture that addresses this is Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. I want to read that for you as we begin. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. This is one of dozens of verses in Scripture that encourage us toward generosity. By the way, I'm not taking a... Um, prosperity gospel approach when I bring up this verse, as you'll see as we go. All right, but let's talk about what it means to be generous today. Ready? You might be offended today, but you surely aren't going to be bored, right? (laughs) So, by the way, if you're a guest with us today, so we want to welcome you to our little family chat. Uh, uh, We don't want you to feel pressured to give in any way at all, okay? This is just a little family talk today about something that Jesus said is very important. So what do we mean when we talk about generosity? I'm going to give you four myths about generosity, then a definition, and then I want to challenge you to sort of take the next step in your lifestyle of generosity. So four myths about generosity. The research done on this subject reveals some myths that we need to recognize. And myth number one is that generosity is natural, that it's a natural thing, all right? The reason that we need to learn to be generous is because it's not natural, And if you have children, you know this. (laughs) If you are a children, you might remember this, okay? We have to teach our kids to share. Some things do come naturally. Sharing is not one of them, 
We have to learn to be generous. In fact, even as adults, we sometimes resist sharing and generosity. At least I do. So confession. Every time we have done a stewardship campaign as a church, I have wrestled in my own heart with this matter of generosity. It's just not that natural. We have to learn it. So let's be honest. There's this natural resistance I think we probably all have towards giving away stuff, what's ours, what we've worked for. And maybe even you're feeling a little bit of resistance right now just hearing me say what I've said so far because it's not. It's not natural. Now, if you want to know what is natural when it comes to money, it's to spend more on ourselves and it's to get caught in that crazy cycle that I just showed you. And so at the risk of offending most of you, if not all of you, I want to talk to you about learning to be more generous. So understand this. When I talk about generosity, I'm not talking about random acts of giving. Most of us are good at random acts of responding to needs. In fact, I'm all for that, okay? The more the better. But that's not what I'm really talking about today. I'm talking about a lifestyle of generosity. Acts 20 is where Luke quotes Jesus as saying this, it is more blessed to give than receive. More blessed to give than receive. It's one of the sayings of Jesus that we have that isn't recorded for us in the Gospels. It's a pretty well-known saying, but it's, I think, probably a little deceptive in its simplicity. So I want to explain it to you in context. The Apostle Paul was in the city of Ephesus, and he was talking to his friends, his brothers and sisters there specifically. We're reading about his conversation with the elders, the leaders of Ephesus, who he doesn't think he's ever going to see again. Verse 25, he said, I know that none of you will ever see my face again. So the context is somewhat sad, okay? And the conversation is very significant, therefore, because we don't waste our words in a setting like that when we're not going to see somebody again. So let's pick it up at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him. Notice a couple of things in these verses, please. First, Paul says, I commend you or I commit you to the word of grace. Now, that's the gospel. In other words, the gospel is that we are saved by grace. We're not saved by trying to live a good life or doing good things. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace, by grace, by the grace of God through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the gospel. Now, we tend to think of the gospel as the thing that gets us saved. But here Paul says, I commit you to the gospel which can build you up. And that might be a little surprising to people because I think what he's saying is that the gospel not only saves us, but it also sanctifies us. It's the thing that can turn us into people who are more like Jesus. 
And then second, Paul goes on to say another thing that's a little surprising. He quotes Jesus as saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And here's why that's surprising. When you're with someone for the last time, you don't waste words on unimportant matters. Okay? You don't talk about the weather. You only bring out the most crucial things. That's the things that are really on your heart. And what Paul focuses on with them is this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So how do we put this together? Paul says, I want you to give yourself to the gospel. And then he says, I want you to be radically generous. Here's what I think he's saying. If you understand the gospel of grace, you will live a radically generous life. Or to the degree that you understand the gospel of grace, you're going to order your life around your generosity. And Paul says, that's the most important thing I want to talk to you about before I leave. By the way, the inverse is likely also true, that if you say you believe the gospel of grace, but you're not radically generous, you probably don't really believe it. And in the context, Paul's saying, look at my life, look at his life, how I lived it before you in Corinth. I lived a life of generosity. I worked hard. I met my own needs. I, I, I helped others with their needs. I took care of the weak and the poor. I spent my life for you. Now you go and live generously as well. And in the context, he also says that covetousness leads to a lack of generosity. And so his exhortation to them is to live a life, develop a life of generosity. So we're talking about ordering our life around generosity. And the first thing we need to understand is it's not natural. Here's the second myth. Myth number two is that generosity is spontaneous. We can all think of times, I'm sure, when we have given a generous gift to somebody in need or something we've heard about, some spontaneous act of giving, right? When we think about generosity, most of us, I think, think of random acts of generosity. But the research indicates that people who are truly generous have developed a lifestyle of generosity, they aren't as much spontaneous about it as they are strategic about it. Generous people don't have to be inspired to give or sold on a need or cajoled into giving. Okay, they're, they're not all that spontaneous about it. They have a plan for their giving. And again, you can give a generous gift spontaneously, but people who are truly generous have learned to have a lifestyle of generosity. Here's myth number three. Generosity is determined by how much we have. Some people think generosity is largely determined by my cash flow, in other words, how much money I have on hand. The idea is that when I get paid and there's money in my account, then I can be generous, and when it's gone, then I can't. Okay. Here's the truth. Generous people tend to be consistently generous. So if you give when you can afford it, but stop giving when you can't afford it, chances are you're a giver, but you haven't learned to be generous. Generosity is not determined by how much we have. You say, explain that a little bit more to me, Jim. Well, look at me, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul wrote about this. 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So what Paul is doing is he's holding up the churches of Macedonia as an example of generosity. And notice what he said about them. He says they were living in extreme poverty, but they also had great generosity. That's the example Paul wants the Corinthians and us to learn from. So obviously generosity is not determined by how much we have. You might be a teenager living on an allowance or an occasional babysitting or or lawn job. But you can still glorify God by your generosity. You can learn now to have a generous heart that will be a value that you carry with you throughout your life. The fourth myth about generosity is that it's the amount that counts. Listen, it doesn't matter how small or how large the gift may be. The amount does not determine if it's generous or not. One of the ways we fool ourselves into believing we're generous is by looking at the size of the gift. The size of a gift does not indicate the degree of generosity necessarily. Jesus commented on this in Luke 21. Listen to his words. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Clearly, the amount of the gift does not determine its generosity. So here's the good news. Everyone, everyone can be generous. When you understand generosity, you realize that everyone can develop a lifestyle of generosity. Even even a newly enlisted soldier on a meager budget and even a senior citizen on a fixed income. Everyone can develop a lifestyle of generosity. Here's a corollary that goes along with this last myth, and it's that rich people are generous. Sometimes it's stated like this, when I become rich, then I will be generous. When I have more money, then I will be more generous. So let me clear this up, all right? Rich people are rich, and generous people are generous, and there is no natural correlation. Let me say Something to all of you who are in your teens, 20s, 30s, so the younger half of the congregation. When you, uh, if you're not generous now, when you get rich, you will be richer, but not necessarily more generous. Because there is no correlation between how much money you make and how generous you are. They are two completely different things. And I want to help you learn to be generous. I want to learn to be more generous myself. So let me put it like this, because I believe this is God's goal for each one of us. God's goal is for us to develop a lifestyle of Christ-like generosity. A lifestyle of Christ-like generosity. After all, Christ is our ultimate example. So here's a definition of generosity. It's not pithy, 
It's not easy to remember. It's a little awkward, but here it is anyway. Generosity is the planned, intentional, designated investment of my personal financial assets. I want to unpack that one word at a time. And by the way, generosity does include other things too, such as investing time, investing energy, but I'm specifically today talking about financial generosity. It's the planned, intentional, designated investment of my personal financial assets. It's first of all planned. It's determined in advance. Generosity requires some planning. And generous people tend to have a plan. And, and we all have a plan whether we realize it or not. Our financial habits reveal our plan even if they're not written down. Here's the plan most people have. Consume most of what comes my way, save a little if I can, and give away the rest. Okay? I love you, but that's not a good plan. All right? Generosity requires planning. It's determined in advance. Second, it's intentional. It's the planned and intentional investment. So you decide the amount, in other words. Generous people know how much they're going to give away. Generosity requires a specific amount or percentage. You need to know ahead of time or at least have some plan for what you're going to give. And percentage giving is better because you can adjust it as your income changes. The key to generosity is reordering your finances so that you give to God first, that you save second, and you live on the rest. That's the opposite order. Most people do it. All right. In the past years, I've talked about Dave Ramsey's 70% principle. It goes like this, that the first 10% goes to God, the second 10% goes to debt or an emergency fund, and the third 10% goes to savings, and then you live on the remaining 70%. If that's a new idea to you, I'd suggest that you check out Financial Peace University. We highly recommend it, and I'll come back to that later. But the only thing that the 70% rule lives out, at least in just simply stating it, is as you grow in your wealth, then you learn to be even more generous and to live on an even lower percentage than 70%. But generosity is the planned, intentional, designated is the next word. You know where it's going. Generous people decide ahead of time what they're giving to. They pre-decide where it's going. That way you don't have to feel guilty when someone puts a little pressure on you to give to something because you already have a plan between yourself and God. This is what I believe God wants me to give this year. You've already worked that out. By the way, you can still do random acts of generosity. That's important too. And finally, it's an investment of my personal financial assets. Generous people understand that giving isn't an eternal thing. Generous people don't assume that what comes in is for me to spend on myself. In Luke 12, Jesus told the parable of the rich fool. This guy who had a bumper crop, and so he tears down his barns, and he builds bigger barns, and he stores all all of his grain as though it was to spend on himself. And Jesus said to the man, you are a fool. Your soul is going to be required of you tonight. You're a fool. And Jesus taught that we're managers of our money. We're to be um, stewards. We don't own what God gives us. We're simply to manage it for God in the short time we live here on earth. 
And we're fools if we spend it on ourselves and assume it's just all for us to spend rather than investing it in eternity. Jesus was encouraging us to be rich toward God and investing in eternal things. We manage what God entrusts to us. That's how generous people think. Jesus' point is this. Since we're going to only be here for a little while and then die, why would we miss the opportunity to give it away while we're here? Why would we miss the opportunity to invest it now in things that have eternal impact? And generous people think like that. They're, they're uh, stewards rather than owners, managers rather than consumers. And imagine how freeing it will feel to live generously in that way. That leads to financial freedom. Or we can just stay on the crazy cycle if we choose to, but I really don't want you to experience that. Listen, you, you break that crazy cycle by reordering your priorities around your finances, not by making more money. In other words, generosity is the off-ramp to get out of that crazy cycle. The way you develop financial peace and self-control and contentment and discipline is by learning to be a generous person. Most people assume the way off the crazy cycle is just to make more money. Not true. The way out of the crazy cycle is to become more generous. So the last thing I want to explain to you today is how we can grow in our generosity. I want to talk to you about four levels of giving. All right? And the first one is what I call the beginning level. That's where we return an initial gift to God. That's where it all starts. When you make your first gift to God, you begin honoring the Lord with your finances. And most of you, I'm sure, have already done that. As Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. There's a blessing in giving. The second level of giving is the systematic level. That's where we become regular givers. 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul said this, On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Giving is meant to be an important part of our weekly worship to the Lord. And it's to be systematic. In other words, whenever we get paid, we're to give a percentage of it, set it aside to give back to God. Okay? Personally, I've found that the automated giving, that EFT giving thing that the church does, has been a super help, a really good way to do that. I resisted that for years when we started doing that, but the last four years or so, uh, Jackie and I have been doing that, and it, I just love it now. It's easy, I'm much more consistent, and it hasn't taken away the joy of giving whatsoever. And it's super easy to adjust. It takes me about 20 seconds to send an email to the office and say, I was giving this, now I need to change it to this, or decrease it, or you know, whatever. It takes 20 seconds to do that. Point is this, whatever works for you, the point is be regular in your giving. That's level two. Third is the obedience level in giving. That's when we return a full tithe to God. So the first two levels are good places to start, but they're not good places to stay because they're not full obedience. So first, let's define the word tithe. Right? The word tithe literally means a tenth or 10%. So tithing to God means I give, I'm giving back to him the first 10% of my income. 
Now, since God doesn't really need our money, the logical question we might ask is, why does God ask us to do that? Let's consider some verses about that, right? Deuteronomy 14.23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. The purpose of tithing is to make sure God remains first priority in our lives. To remind us that all we have belongs to him. And to make sure that he stays as top priority. It's a constant reminder as well that, that we're dependent upon him and that we're, how grateful we are for all that he's done. Malachi 3.10 adds this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Problems that Malachi was addressing, people were suffering financially, and God spoke through Malachi to say, this is the problem, you're not tithing as you should. And I love the fact that God invites us to test him. Listen, God wants to prove to you and to me that he can care for us if we put him first and if we trust him with our finances. But the first step is on us. Now, sometimes people ask me, is tithing really still for today? And I always have the same answer. Yes, I believe it is. Absolutely. And here's what Jesus said about that in Matthew 23, 23. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he said to, to them, yes, keep tithing, but that's not the most important thing I'm saying to you to do. All right? I want you to show love to people. I want you to show mercy. I want you to take care of your parents. Yes, keep tithing, that's important, but these other things are, are even more important. But the point in the context today is Jesus said, yes, tithing is still to be done. So there's one more level for us to consider today, and that's what I call the peak level, becoming a generous giver. See, the Bible presents tithing as just the starting place, or as Randy Alcorn famously said, it's the training wheels of our giving. The Bible also speaks about free will offerings or voluntary offerings that are over and above the tithe. And that means that God wants us to grow in our giving so that we learn to go beyond just the minimum required. It means that God wants to develop a heart of generosity in his children. He wants to grow us into the image of Jesus Christ. And here are a couple of verses about that. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians. He said, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So what do you think Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to do? And then he wrote this in verse 11, jumping down a few verses. He said, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are two chapters, great chapters to read about this concept of generosity. Beloved, by the way, I want to commend you today for your generosity as a church. This is an amazing church family. 
in December, just a few weeks ago, we passed the $1.1 million mark in giving toward the Transform Construction Project. $1.1 million. And for that, amen, amen. For that and for all the other ways that you were so generous, I say to you, well done. Great job. Keep up the good work. But, as Paul writes, continue to excel in the grace of giving. And so I'd ask you, which one of these four levels of giving are you personally at in your stewardship today? My observation is, as people get to this third and fourth level of giving, they are far less likely to be in debt and under stress, and they are far more likely to have financial peace and joy. In other words, they are getting off that crazy cycle. And so may I challenge you today as we begin a brand new year to purpose in your heart to excel in the grace of giving by moving to the next level in your stewardship. What steps, friend, what steps do you need to take today for that to happen? As we think about that, let's consider some other next steps. Number one is I will write or refine my 2018 goals. Set aside some time this weekend or in the near future to complete your goals for the new year if you haven't done them already. Also consider lining up a workout partner, an accountability partner to encourage you and support you in going for your goals this year. And one of the best places to find that workout partner is in your small groups, all right? So next step two is I will sign up for a small group. Again, please fill out that, that sign-up slip that passed down the row earlier or drop it in the offering bag in a few minutes or take it down to the table in the foyer. By the way, you can also sign up online on the website, but the point is sign up soon because this is our kickoff week for small groups. And one small group I especially want to highlight today is Financial Peace University. It's done in a small group context. It lasts for somewhere between 9 and 12 weeks. I'm not sure which format we're doing this time. And it begins on February 12th. So four weeks from now, Monday night, 6.30 p.m., we're offering Financial Peace University once again. It is the absolute best biblical financial course available, and we like to offer it every year at Lake City. So why not grab a friend and decide that 2018 is going to be your year to experience a new level of financial peace? Sign up for financial peace. And number four, I will take the next step in my stewardship. By the way, if you're not sure how to sign up for financial peace, just write it on your communication card today, FPU, and someone will contact you. Number four, I will take the next step in my stewardship. We've already talked about how to do that. So just mark that box and say, Lord, with your help, I want to take that next step. Guide me, help me, help me do that. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we pause and think about how generous, how, how lavish you have been in the way you've treated us. And we thank you for the generosity of Christ, who, though he was rich, gave that up that he might come to earth and to live here and die in our place on the cross. God, we thank you for that gift. For anyone here today that has not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, I just offer this invitation prayer today. Friend, if that's you, just pray in the silence of your heart. Pray silently and say, Father, I want your forgiveness today. I receive Jesus as my personal Savior. I understand I can't earn your forgiveness, but I can receive it as a gift by faith in Christ, his death for me, his resurrection for me.
So I receive forgiveness by grace today. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. And thank you for the gift of a brand new year before us. And God, I pray that you would help us to live this year in alignment with your goals and your plans for us. Help us to set noble goals, godly goals for the coming year for your glory. And Father, help us not to try to do so in, the, in our own flesh or for our own glory, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. For we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.